Welcome to Cyber Synapse, the podcast that's creating connections through cyberspace with candid conversations about cyber and tech-related issues with your host, Kath Nibbs. Do you know your GDPR from your ISO? Is your business cyber secure? If not, give agency a call on 03455 760 999. You can visit their website at www.theagency.com. An agency is with an I, not a Y. Welcome to this week's episode. Uh, uh, Today's guest is Dr. Ryan Kelly, and this has got to be one of uh, the best interviews um, pre and post the conversation that I had in terms of uh, geeking out. So I really, really enjoyed kind of going on many, many tangents with um, Ryan. But what we did talk about was the need for balance, the need for balance when we um, promote, talk about, share research, but also how we also need to take both sides of the coin, really. Um, and what, what we did talk about was our own cognitive biases. Um, there's there's a beautiful gem of a moment where um, both Ryan and I are talking about something. And we, we kind of look at the aspects of how, how as researchers, we can err on the side of um, this is the in-group and that is the out-group. Um, we talk about that it, in terms of that being a psychological uh, theory and, and uh, you know, when we talk about gaming, particularly how gamers and researchers, or if they are gaming researchers or researchers of gaming, then actually this can lead us into a bit of a, um, I'm going to call it a sticky pickle, um, because sometimes we do get into the place where we want to say that actually our our perspective, our view is, let's go in in quotes, the correct one. And this, this can sometimes lead us into a place where we don't always listen, we're not always open. Um, so hopefully for those of you who have been listening for a while, you'll understand that I love to hear both sides of the coin, both sides of the argument. Um, I'm very open to learning, um, and this is the best way for me to do it. So hopefully you will learn quite a lot from Ryan today and, um, you know, what, what it is to be a clinical thinker, right? Now, I don't mean that in terms of practice. What I mean for you is when... When you read reports and so on, you might hear things like critical thinking and so on. But actually, the, the clinical side of things is, OK, what are the facts? What are the real facts? Um, and I'm not going to go too much into philosophy here about how we know what's a fact and what isn't and the truth and, and so on and so forth. But this is this is just a way for you to kind of have your have your mind expanded and opened up in terms of how you now going forward may well read research, listen to research, listen to the arguments and debates. Um, quite often, if you are frequenting Twitter, it's likely to be an argument. Um, and, you know, take it as it is. Um, there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they say, which isn't really a very nice metaphor. Um, I think it would be um, much easier if I said something that was less violent, considering my research. Um, yeah. Yeah. Loved geeking out about the Star Wars, the games, and and so on and so forth towards the end. And, you know, another fabulous episode, in my honest opinion. Um, And there's another great one to come soon. So uh, take care. See you soon. Welcome to Cyber Synapse. This week, I'm joined by Dr. Ryan Kelly. He's a clinical psychologist, um, and he's the founder of Geeks Like Us. And he's also the co-author and illustrator of an Aspie comic, and today I've invited Ryan Kelly onto the podcast because he's another one of the um, uh, US-based geek therapists, and I am going to use that phrase. Um, in terms of, I use the fra- I use the phrase "I'm a self-confessed geek," but I don't tend to use "geek therapist." I say, you know, yeah, geek psychotherapist. Maybe nobody knows what it means in this country. So first <laughs> of all, I, might ask, I might ask you to explain why why people in the US actually use that terminology. Sure. Um, and you know we can we can geek out for the next forty five minutes totally. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah, um, that would that would keep me happy. It may mm. not it may not kind of focus so much on the cyber issue. Right. Um, but I I kind of what what I'm looking at is um, the Variety article, and that was that was the I think I'd pinged sure. you. I think I'd pinged you before that, but the Variety yeah. article came out. Sure. Um, it it was a very short article as they normally are. Um, mm. 
really, really suggesting that clinical psychologists are suggesting that games can be used for positive uh, outcomes within Absolutely. psychotherapy. Absolutely. So where, where should we start? Should we start with the article? Where, where would you like to start, Ryan? Sure. Well, and I'll, I'll clarify one thing. I'm uh, Geeks Like Us. I'm the co-founder with someone who actually you should totally interview is Dr. Megan Connell, who's a phenomenal psychologist. But um, yeah, the Variety article, that, that was interesting. Uh, we had done a panel at PAX East um, on empowering gamers and essentially how we as clinicians use video games and geek culture uh, to help uh, increase the therapeutic gains and to connect with our clients more, especially our geeky clients. And something that was interesting, it shouldn't be the only takeaway, but um, one of the commentators, as we're talking about, so what I was quoted saying is, you know, games are tools and they can be good wow. or bad. It's like nuclear fission. Either it can be the answer to perpetual energy or it can create an atom bomb. The fact is it's incredibly powerful and we should not ignore that. We should use it in therapy. And I believe there was a commentator who equated that, what is it, Godwin's Law, that basically equated it to Hitler, sort of saying, um, you know, uh, Dr. Kelly is suggesting to talk to young Nazi youth happily about murdering Jews like, like Hitler. And mm -hmm. which I think, I think in itself is, and I, I don't fault that person. I, I know they have an emotional response to this issue. But I think that's the point is, it's an incredibly divisive issue that people feel so emotionally strong about that on one side you have the moral panic of it's, it's causing our kids to be serial killers and it's, it's the number one cause of divorce and all these things and violence and all these things that are, you know, just hyperbolic and sensationalized. And then on our end, I say our because I do lean toward heavily toward a, a positive bias of gaming um, where we have the moral panic of they're trying to take this thing away from us. They're trying to stigmatize this thing that we love and that are a large part of our identity. And that even when we have these debates and do something as simple as an empowering gaming panel at a gaming convention, that we are all of a sudden split and that, that really both sides are at fault for that one. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it sounds like what we're going to be talking about really is the divisive, well, it, it, I'm wondering if we're I think I just, I think I just let us that way, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, um, but it's, it's really important though, in, in terms of, so quite often when I'm, when I'm out teaching or when I'm speaking with parents, I'll say, yeah, but it causes this, doesn't it, Kath? Sure. And then I have to try and explain, you know, well, just because it says the word, you know, addiction in it doesn't sure. necessarily mean it's addiction. Um, sure. So I am just going to self-promote for a second here, which I'm usually shit at. <laughs> um, I I wrote an article about addiction and attachment and how you you can't you can't untangle them. Um, and the reason I said that is because the behaviours that we see in gaming or the behaviours we see in social media tend to mimic the ones that are also seen in addiction. Mm -hmm. Quite often um, we get reduced down to these bloody dopamine hits, and you know people will say, "Ah, oh, but if you look at the brain, you'll see that it's this area and it shows this and it does this and mm -hmm. it does that." And I say, "Yeah, but." If you look at the attachment theory and you see the same brain scans, you'll see it's the same areas and funnily enough, the same neurochemicals. So mm -hmm. which, which one is it? Chicken or the egg? And, and this, is, this is where I think actually we need to stop focusing on one domain. We've got both sides of the argument. And what we need mm -hmm. to do is find a middle ground. Yeah, I would agree with you. Mm -hmm. Okay, then. So... With the research that's currently out there, um, mm -hmm. and as I said to you before, I do get I do get called um, possibly controversial because I do argue mm -hmm. with both sides. Um, because if I'm sitting with a client, um, and I'm sure you'll you'll have experienced this, mm -hmm. who is completely uh, absorbed in the game, doesn't get mm -hmm. washed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then mm -hmm. I might be, I might be saying, well, actually, this does look more like addiction. Mm -hmm. However. If they're playing the game and the parent says, but they won't come off when I tell them to, mm -hmm. then that's not particularly addiction. That seems to be a parenting child issue. You know, yeah, that possibly. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. uh, so I, th I think what I'm going to ask you then is when, when you had this, let's call it quote, <laughs> suggested <laughs> to you that okay. um, games could be that dangerous. Sure. How, yeah. How did you handle that? Or what was, what was going on for you at the time? Oh, oh with, uh, with the commentator? Yeah. It's, it's really funny. So what I always do is I say, okay, this person's obviously having an emotional response, but is there any validity to their statement? So actually what we wound up doing with my colleagues and I, uh, we, we stayed at this house and it was absurd and amazing, but we all stayed at what's called the Pax house and we're very good friends in addition to colleagues. And while eating spaghetti made by Dr. Chelsea Marie and Dr. Sarah Hayes, 
um, you know, having this nice dinner, we all took turns reading parts of the article while drinking wine and having a blast and trying to look for any possible valid statement, which just to be fair, she made, her name was Casey. She made one valid statement that we do need more longitudinal studies. Uh, aside from that, there was no validity. <laughs> Everything else was, was a shit show. But, you know, yeah. it, I, I don't get offended. I, I think many of us try not to in the very least. But, um, yeah, and that's kind of how we handled it. Hmm. I think it can be quite difficult. It feels like being poked with a stick sometimes. Um, you know, when, uh, so this happens if I'm speaking on, uh, particularly on uh, news, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. the news and media, that they'll say, yeah, but doesn't it cause this, Kath? And when you say yeah. no, they kind of try and railroad and come around with oh, a sure. different angle. Um, I think recently I'd been over to the BBC and there was a couple of questions and they'd said, mm-hmm. you know, so we're going to ask this. Uh, and it was to do with um, David Zendel's work on uh, gaming and uh, loot boxes and addiction. Sure. Gambling. And I said, well, A, you can't, you can't transition from adult to children's studies. And secondly, that's a legal issue. No, no therapist or psychologist is competent enough to talk about legal issues within this country when actually mm-hmm. that falls under the legal sector. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was quite interesting that during the interview, it went on, it went on. And then right at the end, you know, the question came in, dressed up in a different outfit. Oh, sure. You know? Oh, sure. Yeah. So it, it can be provocative. It can. I mean, I've, I've certainly been on, on news interviews where I, you know, we talk for 30 minutes and they pull maybe three minutes of it. And some, some people do really well, actually. I've got some, some friends of mine who work for different news stations who I've, I've come to uh, uh, care for deeply who are very objective. They really do strive for that, even at the push of, I'm sure there are producers saying, you know, make it sensationalized and they, they do it pretty well. But I've had others where they'll, they'll leave out large segments of what I say and then, you know, sort of cherry pick a few of the negatives to try to, um, to, to try to kind of create their own narrative. So uh, I've, I've, I've definitely seen that. Now, to be fair, we do the exact same thing. Um, there's, this, there's something I like to do with my colleagues where I'll say, you know, all right, tell, almost like just a, 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 an academic exercise. Tell me the, the, the cons of gaming. And, you know, sometimes there'll be sort of um, uh, these phrases like, well, what do you mean? Or trying to dodge the question a little bit. And then when, and I've done this too, by the way, historically. Yeah. And then it's, it's a lot of clauses. Well, it can do this, but really anything can do that. And it's very dismissive, a lot of research, right? Or in the very least, we will quickly attack methods of studies that have um, suggested that gaming can have, have issues, have negative issues. But then when we ask, what are the pros of gaming? There's no clauses. It's just very, very accurately, we will, we will report data, we, but we don't attack the methods when even the, the ones in, in support of gaming can be really poor. We don't, uh, we don't do qualifiers, like, but really anything could be good like this. And, you know, that's, that's a problem. So, so yes, people who, who are against gaming will do that, and people in support of it absolutely will too, which is a, an issue. we got to both kind of accept that we do it and try to figure out a, a, an intervention for that. Yeah. Well, good luck. We're trying to find an intervention for people. Oh my God. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Mm, yeah. Right. That sounds, actually, that sounds like um, A, people, uh, human behavior. Mm-hmm. I actually, sure. um, so the episode that will have gone out just before this one, I was talking to Tassos, and one of the things I said is, you know, when people do, I'm going to go come at me with uh, um, usually provocative statements about mm-hmm. things. I I don't tend to bite because I'm in a place where I recognize that actually, that is their opinion. It might not be my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I, I can and I do buy into the, you know, the critical parent, the sarcasm, the passive aggressive, you know, mm-hmm. because I'm a human and I cock up. Happens. Sure. And, and, you know, catch me on a bad day and I will, mm-hmm. I will bite. And then other days mm-hmm. I'll just be really compassionate and kind and say, okay, sure. this is how I see it. Maybe that's not how you see it. And uh, yeah, I think, I think what I will say is social media doesn't always give that time to do that. No, you, you are a hundred percent on that. You are a hundred percent on that. I, I think we're limited to 250 characters. People try to follow up, but it is rapid. Um, you know, you do want to try to get information out there quickly. It's usually a quantity versus quality of information you get. And because it is so rapid, I think that, you know, we all come at it with this confirmation bias. I'm looking for data to support my belief. Um, whether it be pro or, you know, uh, in support of or against gaming. 
And we'll just look at, you know, a trusted source, like a colleague of ours, see an article that says gaming's good and not really investigate the methods or anything and just sort of more data for me. And then check out ones that are rapidly put up. Gaming is so bad and immediately dismiss it. And vice versa, by the way. I think very rarely do people actually like click on the link, go to the scholarly article, pay for the, pay for the article or be a part of a, you know, get into a database. Um, so you're right. Social media, although good in many ways, for quality information, ew, tough, can be tough. Yeah, I do, I do remember seeing, um, in fact, it wasn't, I heard it on another podcast and then I went to Google it and check it out because mm-hmm. that, is, that is just me. Don't believe anything I'm told until I've gone. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like that, yeah. Unfortunately, I'm going to say, as, as, and this is just a slight tangent, unfortunately, I taught my children to do that. So what does happen now, and I think it's popping up, uh-huh. is I, I, will, I will say something. So I'm... Uh, I'm into something called biohacking and Mm -hmm. today I had to put some sun cream on and it was Mm -hmm. really interesting because my son turned around and said, I thought you didn't use this crap. And I said, Mm -hmm. well, you know, we're going to be stuck out for a certain number of hours. 20 minutes is the max that I normally let my skin out to the sun. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm going to put cream on because I'm really concerned about it getting burnt. And then we have a conversation about, but I thought you weren't putting these chemicals on your skin because of so-and-so. And And then we get into this debate. And the next thing is, phones are out and we're both going, but here, but here, but here, but here. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, there's never a dull moment in my house (laughs) to critically think. Um, But it it just brought up then for a moment the the article that that was shared on mostly Facebook, actually, Mm -hmm. about most people don't read a link before sharing it. And I think mm-hmm. they looked at the data and it was over 70% of people had shared this article without even looking into what the article said. And had they have clicked on the article, it was absolute cod's wallop written in it. The one on the, the yeah. article itself that talked about that? Yeah. That just That's said, hilarious. Yeah, Most people share an article without reading it. Now, had you have read it, the first paragraph actually started to make sense. And then it just said, blah, 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 blah. It got into nonsense. Yeah. There was a there was a recent one, and you and I talked a little bit about it. But uh, there was a really good article that that's been posted a lot lately. Uh, Orban and Provolsky talking about they did a specification curve analysis on a bunch of uh, articles that have said you know gaming is good, gaming is bad, all built on the same data set. And the two main points of this article were were let's use SCA to identify bias, to identify how research approach data sets, in particular large ones operationalize things like what is gaming, uh, what is depression, and choose certain items and so on to use to operationalize that, and that there's a bias there. So that I think even as Orban said it, doing 200,000 analyses, 100,000 come out that it, it, it has a negative correlation with depression, 50,000 that would come out that it's positive correlation, 50,000 says it's neutral. And the whole article is talking about, you know, be careful with large data sets. And let's look at biases as they exist, even within the same data, mm-hmm. and, and not to provide a new statistic, but to say, here's this new, you know, 0.04% of depression cor- is correlated with, uh, with screen use. Not to say that that's the new stat, because actually the, even the creators of it, uh, Simon Sohn, who did SCA, created SCA, he's the one who even says, this is not... Uh, a, a, a new stat. This is simply to promote discussion. The new stat based on this model is unattainable, as, as yeah. they would say. And yet, I saw both positive and negative. The negative saying, look at this new thing. Even when they looked at all these studies and did this uh, specification curve analysis, it's still negative, right? And then on the positive side, look at this. They did all this and it's only 0.04%. In fact, potatoes are 0.09, so twice as harmful to people, right? But the whole point of the article was not to do that, was to like, you know, it's just a discussion, not to take it to support our bias, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of the irony of that, similar to the irony of the one you just talked about, you know? Um, Yeah. Now, for me, there's something about that. So the general public don't, I mean, what I will do is not just the general public. When I saw um, these particular quantitative tasks, like I was saying to you, I've moved over to Qual. So some of these uh, these actual statistical tests, I was looking going, what the bloody hell is that? <laughs> but then sure. I had to go off and try and read out what, what an SCA was so that I could understand mm-hmm. what it was that I was yeah. reading. Um, but there's, there's also something about... Um, so for me, it's been really interesting because I'm not blocked by some of the people that are currently okay. in dispute. So I can see that, for example, like Twenge and Mary Aitken tend to have their 
particular views of what, what's mm. happening in cyberspace. And mm -hmm. they tend to use the, the same data sets, funnily enough. And that's, that's mm -hmm. what this was about, wasn't it? Was mm -hmm. look at this data set. And I think what's interesting is when I try to explain to people, yes, but if you have a data set that's large enough, you will begin to see significance where there might not normally be some, or you might see somewhere. And people just look at me and I go, yeah, it's really complicated. Well, it, it, it is. And I think when you have these large data sets, like I know the one in that study was the, the MTF and uh, the YRBS, so the Youth Risk Behavior uh, Survey. And, you know, they're these massive surveys and they are fished and mined and, and computed to mortem, right? So, so you are going to find things that you sort of think, eh, how valid is this? And especially when you look at it, like if you're going to pull something and say, you know, depression and gaming. Let's use an example. In the YRBS, you know, when you're looking at um, the items they have on, on screen use, you got one on the amount of time that people watch TV with like the last one E or something being five hours or more. And then you've got one on everything else. So two, two questions that only measure the amount of time spent on one focusing on TV and the other focusing on everything else. That is garbage. There's no, you can't use that data for much. And then the other for depression is five items with only one not relating to suicide. One relating to basically a major depressive episode. Have you been pervasively to a significant degree depression for two weeks? And then the others would like, do you think about killing yourself? Have you tried to kill yourself? Like, so you're talking about, if I'm going to say tech use related to depression, Oh my Lord, how, how in the world are we going to use those seven total items on the YRBS to, yeah. to make a claim at all? I mean, it's just a mess, right? But, but who pulls up the questionnaires? They just say MFT or MTF and they see uh, YRBS and they see that people use it and they just see an Oxford article or a Cambridge article and they're like, oh, it must be good. And they don't click on the questionnaire, right? Well, that, that, to be honest, that was my first um, assertion. I went with, oh, brilliant, now, now we're talking. Sure. Look at this. Well, it's, it's, sure. Right. <laughs> now, to, to be fair, the MTF has more items on self-esteem and um, depression is still only four items. But again, it's not nearly enough to make a negative or positive claim, right? Mm -hmm. Again, the article is to, promote, is to show the discrepancy of analyses of the same data, right? Yeah. Yeah, and I, at the end of the day, how does how does a um, I'm just thinking a journalist or a layperson mm. understand right. what is being said? Because actually, this this phrase about potato, you know, potatoes being mm. yeah, become has become the sarcastic tagline. Yes, it is. Well, it's hard to detect sarcasm versus are they serious? So, like you said, if you imagine you're in the middle and you're not savvy in reading, uh, you know, research or analytical methods or or whatever or even stats to know what a beta coefficient, you know, versus, like uh, to even know how to interpret that. You need to have people who can, who you can trust. And I think what we do have is we're using it maybe sarcastically, but what people are hearing is on pro support, you know, in support of gaming, uh, the correlation between depression and games is 0.04% and potatoes are worse. And they're like, that doesn't seem very right. And it probably is not. Right. But they're like, well, I, I doesn't seem accurate. And it doesn't match their experience either. Right. Because of all the things they've read that tend to be, again, more coverage goes with the negative. And then they hear a negative article that says it causes violence. It's going to make your kid look at Sandy Hook. That's what caused it was video games and Asperger's. Right. And sometimes they're also put off by that. Sometimes they're like, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, my gosh. Because I heard a story uh, a couple months ago about the same thing. So that must be. That must be accurate. So, so I think the big thing, and this is what I've been focused on lately, is how do we have discussions where we actually try to take these things, provide an accurate uh, uh, dissection of it, give it to layman in layman terms to be a trustworthy source instead of saying, oh, potatoes are worse, or saying it causes, you know, makes you be a murderer. To be able to say, here's objective data, here are some implications. Here are some limitations. Why, why not have that as our common approach? We do it in peer-reviewed articles. Why wouldn't we say that to laymen? Yeah, I think, I think what Andrew Shabilsky is trying to aim at now is people to mm -hmm. do the, um, where you put the report out first, where you say, okay, this is what I'm going to investigate. This is what I think. Um, mm -hmm. So is it registered, registered articles that you, you kind of register your, your, um, your research, you say, this is mm -hmm. what the lit review is, this is what I think is going to mm -hmm. happen. And then funnily enough, after you've completed it, whether it's a, 
null hypothesis or otherwise, you then say, oh, well, we found what we thought or we didn't find what we thought. And I think that w- that would give more credence to uh, kind of findings that are pretty shit, <laughs> you know, which yeah. you know, we don't tend to. We don't, I, I've not seen many of those at all ever. Um, which says to me, I wonder what people have researched that when they came back, they said, oh, look, we didn't actually find what we wanted to. Um, let's go and look at it in a different way, because that's the stuff that gets published. Well, that's right. I, th- I think, you know, very, uh, there's also an unfortunate reality that if you don't have a significant result, it's less likely to be published in a peer reviewed journal. So oh, people right. feel like they do need to find it. And there is a big problem where it's like, it's almost like flat earthers. I didn't find what I was looking for. Let me try to find another way for what I was looking for, you know, to get what I'm looking for, which is a problem on uh, certainly on both sides. Um, so we've got a serious issue here. I mean, I, you know, I think it's very hard for even academics to know what the answer is in a number of domains and a number of articles. It's virtually impossible for the layman. So then it's, it's going to go based on experience and human nature and fear is a part of human nature. So they're going to, you know, we respond to that. Well, that, that, uh, that's kind of, so I'm, I'm now going to do the uh, fizz buzz thing again. That's actually reminded me and I made a, a little note when I was talking about kind of that potato reference. Um, mm. There's been two, two things that I've watched and I'm going to use the term viral. Yeah, they, they have gone viral. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can't remember how many years ago it was, probably about 20 in the 1990s, Professor David Nutt, who was at uh, King's, Co- I think he was at King's College then. Mm-hmm. No, mm-hmm. he must have been at UCL. He's now at King's College. He okay. did. A, he was the drugs star for the government, and he did a piece of research. <coughs> was um, people who took MDMA were significantly less likely to die than people who had uh, horse riding accidents and had a head injury. Mm-hmm. So his research was reported as horse riding is much more dangerous than taking mm-hmm. drugs. And before you know it, he'd been sacked. Right. And that's, right. that's the kind of thing um, that I see with research and, and these kind of oh, findings. Yeah. I think that's what's happening at the moment is sometimes we do, and I'm going to use a phrase I saw today on a poster, we do buy into the peasant's philosophy. And okay. I was like, what a fantastic sense of, I am so plagiarising that. Right. <laughs> that's what we're talking about. We're looking at statistics. We're looking at um, results. We're looking yeah. at don't understand and then saying and it is that moral panic isn't it there is yeah uh, you know i think there is and i think even things with correlation i think on our side uh what we tend to do is we we tend to say correlation is not causation which is exactly right Mm -hmm. we we tend to say it so much as if correlation is not useful correlation is indicative it can point us in a direction right it's not causal inference. I mean, we can't say this cause, but it can say, hmm, okay, this might be giving us future directions. Let's take a peek at this. So it's not useless, but sometimes it can be absolutely, you know, again, ice cream, more ice cream you eat, the more likely you are to get eaten by a shark. No, that's summer. It's, <laughs> you do both more during the summer, right? I mean, so it, it, it can certainly be, be its own thing. Um, but yeah, it, it, I mean, like you said, we're emotional creatures and we do have emotional response. And this is one that does have, it might seem silly to some, but there is a high emotional investment on, on both sides to, to gaming. Well, I, it, yeah, I think for me that that's where the other, the other thing pops up in terms of um, the other one that went viral was uh, Simon Sinek did a talk with, I think it was uh, Tom Billio on impact theory, actually, because I recognized mm-hmm. the couch. Mm-hmm. And he made this comment and he said, yeah, but the, you know, it's ping, 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 ping on the phone. And these, these young kids are picking up the phone, they're addicted and it's the dopamine hit. And before you know it, this, and I watched how many views this got and it went, it went into the millions. And then, and I was like, wow, people are sharing this without actually understanding what it is that he read. And when I then emailed his team to find out, you know, what research was it that he read that he's quoting this from? Because that's kind of what I do. I'm just, Mm -hmm. okay. Mm -hmm. If this is a big famous person saying something, I want to know what research it is they've read because, again, I I dislike a lot of the, um, yeah, they're trendy words. So I hear words like digital dementia, digital overload, digital, Mm -hmm. and I think, what the bloody hell are we talking about? Mm -hmm. Who's making this up? (laughs) Why are they making it up? And what are they getting from it? Which pieces of research are they actually quoting? Mm -hmm. And it turns out lots and lots of these uh, famous people I'm not actually working with researchers. They're hearing from somebody else. And it mm-hmm. is 
that layman's philosophy, um, or I'll go back to peasant's philosophy from earlier. And mm-hmm. that, that then sends out the bias of a particular person with an opinion. And before you know it, that's now the bias that's trickling down. I'll oh, sure. health symptom. Yeah. So yeah. I, oh, yeah. So, I was going to say, I, I'd agree. I think the, the more common bias is games are bad. Right. I think that is the one that is the more common bias. And, you know, there it is not accurate. Uh, it, it just isn't. Now, can gaming be can screens be problematic? Absolutely. Of course they can. That's not immune to that. And if a therapist were going to say it's an incredibly powerful tool at helping modify behavior, cognition, uh, self-esteem, identity, we have to accept that, of course, if used recklessly or without you know, some, some regulations, some limits, of course it can get out of control. Of course it can. Okay. Uh, it's not immune to it. Um, but I, I think the, the issue on our end, and I know I keep going back to us because I view it as our responsibility. I think there's a tendency where we see that bias and we say, this is what they're being hit by. Let's go ahead and compensate. Let's only throw positive research out there to try to balance it out. But the problem is, and maybe ideally, you know, the more things are coming out and being seen on social media that are in support of games. But again, the issue is now we just have two biased people reporting, you know, only one side of it. And how in the world is anybody going to trust either side? And to find a middle ground, I think the fear is if I say limitations in my reports, if I say, you know, uh, it's potatoes are worse than uh, gaming, and then I, I provide a limitation, but SCA is not meant to be used in this way, it's simply to promote a discussion on bias and research, um, then people are going to go back to the, uh, the sensational negative one. I don't think it will. I think, I think it can help. I think it's needed. And I think the people that are actually open-minded enough to follow the research will, will want that. You know, we're not going to be able to get the fringe. You know, that, yeah. that Nazi, the woman who equated me to talking to Nazis, I'm not going to be able to convince her through facts that gaming is good. It can be good. I, I'm not. Because at that point, she's arguing a belief. She's not arguing a fact. It gets to this point where you have two people of different faiths, and the difference between science and belief or science and faith is faith is certainty without proof, and science is proof without certainty. Uh And I think both are getting incredibly mixed up lately. Um, yeah, that now, just to add in, um, my, my dysfunctional family, that's the um, conversation that I have regularly with my brother when I say, yeah, but yours is an opinion, mine's a fact. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then he will say, because he comes from kind of like the medical background and he's doing his, right. uh, or he's just about to complete his master's in some sort of sports and nutrition, they'll be, yeah, mm-hmm. but mine's a fact, yours is an opinion. You know, get, really? Yeah. Where's, where's the evidence for that? <laughs> Right. And I think, and I'll even go a step further. Sometimes I'll, I will change the word opinion to belief because I believe that belief indicates more of an emotional connection because opinion to me suggests that just here's a thought I have, but belief is here's a thought and feeling I have. And if we don't validate the latter, we're getting nowhere. And then even with the idea of fact, I, I very rarely say fact anymore. I say objective emergent truth. Here is the thing that seems to be the most plausible thing against science being proof without certainty. Here's the most likely answer. And here are some facts as it relates to this article, but here's the objective emergent truth versus an absolute truth. And I mean, that's, you know, that's semantics, it's nuance. I don't know how much that helps the discussion, but I think it's a nice way to view it, you know? Um, yeah, because many of the conversations I've had, um, so I'm, I'm much older than you, many of the conversations <laughs> I've had through my youth have been, um, particularly around philosophy, and, uh, and I'm going to use those big words that we all hate um, in terms of, I'm going to say ontology and epistemology, which means absolutely jack shit to anybody who doesn't <laughs> philosophy. But right. it, does, it does come down to this, you know, but that's subjective, that's your, that's your belief, that's how you see things, that's your mm-hmm. perception. Mm-hmm. And this is where I'm, I'm and I, w- I will use the phrase, I actually sat with my supervisor and I said, but what happens if my research when I actually get those children in the room and we're doing this piece of research, what happens if they say something different to the evidence that I've had over the last seven years? I said, and lo and behold, that's my data set. You know, what Mm -hmm. happens if they contradict everything Mm -hmm. I've heard over the last seven years? Mm -hmm. And my supervisor said, then that's what you go with, Kath. And I said, yes, but it won't won't give me. uh, and, And this is where I can feel my own subjective bias coming in. 
it's, it's almost like, but I know that this is the thing, but the point of my research will be this, this kind of case study snapshot and that will be whatever it produces. And it yeah. will produce the other objective truths that have been emerging over the past seven years in my therapy room. Yeah, absolutely. It's, you know, it's very difficult. I, I, I certainly in my own have had a few ways to, and I, and I applaud you for, you know, trying to recognize your own bias. I think more of us need to do that more proactively. Um, and to be, to be fair, my, the colleagues I work with do a very good job at that. Um, again, we do hop on bandwagons. Of course we do. Um, but my immediate colleagues uh, do a very good job about that. But, uh, you know, I applaud you for doing it. And I think there, there really should be a discussion of, and maybe I'll even tweet about this or something, but I do think there should be a discussion on best practices of how to, how to disseminate research on social media, how to do it in a way that accurately represents information as opposed to sensationalized or one-sided. Um, yeah. And again, you know, I, I've got some ideas. I, I, I might s spread that or do an article that, or something. That but. would be amazing because um, not only do I have this, the, the kind of cyber trauma theory and, and the way that I work, I actually mm -hmm. work a lot with uh, corporeal trauma and I work, mm -hmm. I go to a lot of um, conferences and I do see that a lot of the trauma research that gets shared has exactly the same issue. So um, mm -hmm. the, buzz, the buzzword over the last year or so has been the ACEs study. Mm -hmm. um, so, this this has kind of come to fruition what i what i've really noticed is people are kind of picking and choosing bits out of the research and mm -hmm. they haven't gone and looked at the piece of research so mm -hmm. i said well you know have you been to the cdc and downloaded it and have you looked at mm -hmm. you know how the study was conducted and people go no because we've heard this talk given by right. Uh, right. Uh, somebody on ted uh, sure. uh, nadine burke harris and it's right. had you know I can't remember how many views, but it is now the go-to piece piece of research. Well, right. actually, she's just quoting from research as a medical practitioner, and right. I wonder if she sat and been and done, you know, the the deep research because actually it's based on another study which was done previous to it, right. and yes, it was another big data set. And there's bits omitted because actually it's very cultural. It's very specific to the United States, and you know when mm -hmm. you transition across to um, to United Kingdom, some of those factors don't work in that way because that's not how we've lived as a, a society for the past 30 right. years when right. the stuff is done. So oh, yeah. I, I see it in, in most of the domains that I'm with, you know, and I see people saying, particularly um, psychologists that will say, yes, but this is what we believe in this domain. And then they won't hear anything right. from that's contradictory, but right. then saying, well, well, you know, can you explain what it is that you did? Well, I just did it. That's the answer. It, it's, it's a problem. Uh, you know, I, I even, I have a, uh, you know, I, I, I've had the privilege of working with phenomenal psychologists, phenomenal mental health professionals, phenomenal people. I mean, not all of them are mental health professionals. Some of the most inspiring, uh, there's a guy, uh, Adam Davis is a, is he's a part of, uh, a group called Game to Grow, uh, and he uh, he and Adam Johns uh, and, and Virginia, oh gosh, I forget her last name, created this critical core. It's basically this D and D module for, to help with improve social skills. It's doing very well on Kickstarter, yeah. but you know, Adam Davis is a uh, uh, has a master's in education, I believe, and a drama drama therapist or uh, something to that effect, and. Uh, he, he's the best panelist to me out of all of us. I think I'd like to think we're all pretty good. I, I really admire, but out of all of them, I've gotten so much insight out of that guy. Right. Um, but, uh, but in any case, I've, I've had the privilege of working with him and there are some where um, it's like you said, there is no, there is no tolerance for intolerance. There is no open-mindedness to a refute and if they hear you know, certain keywords, addiction, violence, whatever, shut down entirely. And then also, will then not treat the other person like a human, feel like they don't need to validate their feelings. They don't, all of a sudden, like they should just be able to balk information at them. And that other person should just be like, oh, okay, right? And we, ha we have to come with this idea of the difference between what's right versus effective. My information is right. But is me just balking at I'm going to be effective or I'm now going to have someone screaming at me in tears because I didn't consider that they str struggled with what they saw as addiction. Right. Well, actually, us psychologists already know about something like they we call that in-group, out-group. You know, it's, yes. <laughs> it's almost like we've got this theory that we choose to ignore. Uh -huh. 
<laughs> right, right. It's an issue. It's an issue. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm just thinking about the number of times I sit with my clients in therapy. So usually the adolescents and adults, and I talk about, well, this is this is because this is your frame of reference, and this is their frame of reference. Sure. sure. Based on all of the history, and this is why you see things this way, and this is why they see things that way. Um, I probably spend most of my time doing that when it's usually couples issues. So whether it's, you know, an adolescent that's fallen out with their girlfriend, boyfriend, um, friendships, I have to sit, you know, it, it yeah. actually, and that's where I do use games sometimes because I talk about, Oh, look, let's have a look at this game and look what's happening, you know, between these two yeah. and why they see things differently. Well, that's because he was on that screen and he didn't see anything that you saw, you know, it, right. It, right. it's a bit like, the whole of psychology theory has just been omitted uh, once the emotions become prevalent, really. It, it really <laughs> has. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that would be absolutely amazing to see not only how we can disseminate research, but also how we can become more tolerant and compassionate for each other. I'll write a Geeks Like Us article and send it your way. That'd be, I think that'd be a good one to send out. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm I'm currently writing a chapter in a, a book, and it's about compassion in cyberspace and and why that doesn't always happen because it ties oh, into my, my theory. Mm -hmm. um, and it is going alongside um, another chapter who's written by uh, is being written by Professor Paul Gilbert. And if mm -hmm. if you were going to go to anybody who talks about compassion, it would either be Daniel Goleman or uh, Professor Gilbert. So awesome. I'm really really kind of. Um, procrastinating that's the truth at the moment i am procrastinating from writing it but it's an absolute yeah. privilege to write this to write this. Awesome. it's it's the bit that sometimes gets missed particularly yeah. in cyberspace because um yeah i do find that there's a lot of angry people on particularly on twitter oh, yeah. it's uh, it's a pain in the ass well we it is i mean we but you know we can we can certainly do our part and i think most people you've talked to tony uh, rachel so on um, Jamie, Jamie as well. I think they do a really good job uh, of trying to do their part and being, you know, part of that discussion and doing it in a way that will actually help the layman understand it. But, uh, you know, as long as we're doing our part and we're aware of our own biases and we actually use psychological principles to have a debate about how to validate people and yeah. logos, ethos, pathos, Socratic method. I mean, like all these things, it would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah. And, and to be honest, one of the re one of the reasons why I haven't focused on kind of what happens in games or anything like is because mm -hmm. uh, Jamie's been doing it for ages and I sent oh. him, you know, it's like I say, well, I'm not going to mirror something that's already out there. Go oh. and read, go and listen to his podcast oh. or go and read this book. Um, right. I tend to, I tend to direct people to the, to the books and research that's out there because I think, well, I'm no. doing my thing. The podcast is about a me just having lots and lots of conversations, which is increasing my thinking, which then means that that obviously when it comes to the PhD and the book and other things, yeah. it means that I'm a much more critical thinker, yeah. one with an expanded view. Um, well, it, it's funny because I, I don't have a problem hearing the same thing from different folks or replication studies, but to your point about Jamie, he writes so well. I'm like, I can't even begin to, to write something as precise or impactful as that. We actually, uh, on Geeks Like Us, we're constantly looking at his psychologyofgames.com and aggregating his content. We, we just launched our site, but aggregating his content because he's done it so well. Um, yeah, he, yeah. And they're all, I, I'm again, one of my, one of the things I'm most grateful for in the last year or two is this group of other geek therapists that are just a phenomenal community, top of their field, wonderful people. Um, it's been such an honor and privilege to be a part of it. And you know yourself included, this group of people who just really aspire to collaborate and grow has been awesome. Yeah. Okay, then. So do you want to talk about that title in itself, Geek Therapist? And then do you oh, want sure. to talk about Geeks Like Us? Because that is, sure. you know, is your, your thing, your baby. Sure. It's uh, So Geek Therapist, I think, or Geek Therapy, it's been around for a very, very long time. There are communities everywhere, thousands and thousands of people who try to use geek culture to help with therapy, uh, to be able to present fairly difficult or... Uh, abstract conceptual information in a way that people get. So if, if I'm talking about PTSD and I talk about it through the means of Jessica Jones, right? Like, you know, again, this thing, if, if I'm talking about 
post-traumatic growth versus post-traumatic stress. And I'm speaking in comics of Batman or et cetera. I mean, these things can put it in terminology and narrative that people actually get and actually relate to. And it also is using this wealth of knowledge that is often belittled or chastised, to be frank, of, you know, again, I've hundreds and hundreds of comic books that taught me how to read because I struggled to read and that would be, you know, told by Bill Maher or other people that are childish and whatever. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, most of my insights come from what would be considered anime, comic books, movies. So it's yeah. using that to help people grow. Um, you know, that's geek therapy in general. Um, geek therapist, yeah, that, again, I think that's a tough one over here as well, as far as what that means. But I think generally someone with a license who practices that. Yeah. Yep. I, I would definitely agree. My, my children are geeks. Um, in fact, actually today, today, while I was out, somebody came up and said, uh, I like your Rangers tattoo. And I said, <clears> it's, not, it's, not, <laughs> it's not a Rangers tattoo. It's actually, I've got the Imperial Shields on my car. Oh, that's wonderful. in like a rose. And, and I just went, all right then, thank you. You know, I kind of took yes. the yeah, you're clearly not a Wars fan because if you were, you wouldn't have even ever dared say that to me in that particular way. You'll, um, you, you'll like this. I'm going sh- to show you quick two things. One is if you look over there, you see a samurai sword on my wall, right? Oh, yeah. And then on yeah. the other side, you've got Anakin's lightsaber because it is the time frame of his, the Shogun uh, Seven Samurai influence on, on Lucas with Star Wars. And then actually, if you can see, very small over there, you'll see the glimmer of a comic book. That is a first issue, Princess Leia, near mint, 9.8 grading, signed by Mark Wade, the author, and Carrie Fisher, and the illustrators. I know. Anyway, I'm sorry. That was a huge tangent, but I, I, I hear Star Wars fan, I wanna, and I want to just talk Star Wars. But I'll, I'll not fizz buzz. Is that anything? I won't, yeah. I won't fizz buzz on you. Well, my... my um. My youngest has got a rogue trooper, but it's a blood rogue trooper on his back. Massive tattoo. Oh, it's gorgeous. Oh, it's great. Gorgeous. And yeah. yeah, but it, we see this is what I did. I brought, <laughs> I brought my children up and I was saying to, um, it might have been Tony or Rachel or both. Um, yeah. I went to some teaching for um, the therapists in this country that work with children. And I, and I right, so PowerPoint comes up and I went, does anybody know who this is? And I was like, silence. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. In both well, workshops, and I was yeah. dressed as Master Chief in the background, and nobody <laughs> knew who it was. And I was like, "Okay, right. I think I've just lost my audience. I think I'm out. <laughs> I'm out. Well, I'm out here now." <laughs> think, think about the implication of that. You have Star Wars tattooed on your body. You and I immediately, excitedly, passionately, unapologetically, enthusiastically start talking about merch and this history. Why in the world? Would I not want to use that for someone like you or someone else to talk about mindfulness or homeostasis, deep breathing techniques like Luke would use, even when he's got this balking of emperor field, go to anger, impulse control disorder, basically, right, Um, to rage. Why would I not talk about light and dark side and the gray as it relates to not thinking in black and white? uh, uh, Why in the world would I not use that? Mm-hmm. Are you um, kidding me? It's like, yeah. it just, I'm sorry, I'm, it just blows my mind. Anybody, who, and this is where I get, I can't stop myself from being biased. Anybody who says that you shouldn't use that stuff in therapy, oh my Lord, you are 100% wrong. I hear the irony as I say that of everything I've just said. And this is maybe a good example of I am not immune to it. Yeah. But, ugh. Well, do you know, for me, Ryan, the, the thing that, that gets most and it's usually male adolescents or younger males I mm. will purpose so I've got all of the the kind of Marvel and DC comic heroes I've got them mm-hmm. stacked around the room I put things where the younger people will be able to just look at something yes. and I, I introduce myself so I'm, I'm currently wearing a hat because uh, it's been very sunny my hair feels ugh. um but I am, and I will say to parents, so when you when you go home and that, say to your child, so Kath is the therapist with blue hair, tattoos all over the place. Um, one of them's a Star Wars one. Um, most of them are that it's how the adolescents connect. So I talk about yeah. tattoos so often with children who self-harm. And we will have conversations and I say, I get it. I absolutely get it. But I'm also too frightened to do it to myself. So I pay somebody else, which does not go down as a joke within the therapy community very well. Sure. But actually, do you know the number of times young people will go, did it hurt? And I go, of course it fucking did. Of 
course it did. Mm. But there is this endorphin rush, and I totally get why you do what you do. The mm. issue for me is um, eight years of doing the, the therapy throughout my training, I got to an end because when, when you do become quite coherent, you can no longer go and dissociate. And that's the difficulty with getting a tattoo once you're kind of in this place of pretty much zen and so Can't do it. It hurts. <laughs> Whereas 20 years ago, I could go and get a tattoo, zone out, and of course I could zone out because I had issues. Which I probably still have issues, but you know what I mean? It's Don't we all? Don't we all? The way of, it's a way of being able to connect with just, you know, they'll be looking at my tattoos and I go, which one do you like? The gothic one or the, the one? And then I go, gothic. Are you into gothic? Do you like stuff like Batman? Do you like yeah. so and so? I kind of... Yeah. Sidewind in, absolutely. It, it works. Lego figures, um, you know. Parents, parents talk about Lego, and I go, "Oh well, which kind of Lego?" And they mm. go, "What do you mean, which kind of Lego?" And I go, "All oh, this bionicle, there's so and so, there's so and so." Oh, oh yeah. No, there was that much. Yes, if you're going to have children, make sure that you have a house that you can then take into therapy because all I've got in my therapy room is what used to be in my house when my boys were a lot, lot younger. It's it's all right. really games to comics um tv programs mm-hmm. i mean just think about pokemon oh, for me yeah. right away i'm thinking about pokemon if i if i say well w- would you like to just draw something or color something in would you like a lego figure a gingerbread figure or would you like to color in a pokemon figure yeah which pokemon figure <laughs> yeah absolutely and that, that's what you're looking for that that connection just to, just to get it started usually absolutely mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I suspect that we could use any any kind of um, geek-related issue. It's just that mm-hmm. there are some some products which have developed more into um, a whole heap of consumerism now. Didn't used to be, did it? In terms of, um, and you know, yeah, I've still got an original Millennium Falcon up there. <laughs> I, you know, I get I, my wife gives me a nerd budget. I'm still subscribed to that, which is not, you know, I, I see it sometimes. I'm the guy who on Force Friday, September 4th, before Force Awakens is at Toys R Us at midnight waiting in that line for hours. So, you know, I, I'm not immune to it. And I've got it in my office right now. I've, I bought, I'm definitely the stereotype of the SNL guy who like buy three of each thing, one for yourself, one to sell, one just in case. I even bought, like in my office, I've got the largest commercial Lego ever made, the Millennium Falcon, nearly 8,000 piece Lego. And I mean, my clients, they can choose to work on it with me. And all of my Legos are built by me and clients. And so I've got all these Legos that represent all these wonderful moments, largely with Aspies that have built these Star Wars Legos, largely. Um, but yeah, I, bought, I bought two of those. I'm not, you know, ashamed to admit it. Yeah, yeah, I, I certainly fall into that. But uh, yeah, it, it would be silly not to capitalize on that. I, absolutely, and actually, you've you've mentioned something there. Um, one of the one of the best moments in terms of connecting with a child in therapy is this this child who turned out of selective mute, Aspie, blah blah mm-hmm. blah, all of these diagnoses, and he happened to have an iPad, and I I, I said to them, well, what what's <clears> the <throat> she said, I don't know, something about oh, she said I can't remember the net, and she was trying to describe Warhammer, and I said, yeah, that's a toughie. I went fab. Following week, I came in with a few figures and I went, what do you think to the paintwork on that? And this kid looked and I went, I did that. Yeah. When? I said, when I was 14. You know, just, mm-hmm. just kind of talking mm-hmm. about, I'm, I was the age that you are now. And I said, yeah, it's been around a long, long time. So mm-hmm. we then started talking and actually it was Blood Bowl that he was playing. So I was like, oh, I've even got that in board form. Let me go and grab it out of my loft. Mm-hmm. So I'm then bringing part of my history into the therapy room and it was just such a nice way to connect That's with great. some of these um, children with the diagnoses of oh, they, yeah. they don't connect with anybody, Kath. And do you know, I've actually just put that into my book um, about how, how we connected over these Warhammer and, and so on. And it transitioned to us having lots and lots of conversations that the parents yeah. couldn't understand. Yeah, I mean, I think, and, and, and to be fair to parents, it's such a fast-growing world. There's so many geek domains. We devote our life to it largely, so it's easy for us. But to understand the concept of Warhammer when you never played D&D or Pathfinder or tabletop in general, the idea of why it would be fun to paint a little figure or why people would spend massive amounts of money on all these mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, battle, uh, battle scenarios and everything. You know, we, we even do local, um, geeks like us, we do local presentations and national where we try to help parents at least have some of like what Apex is, Fortnite uh, types of like, like bare minimum. And then yeah. tell them here are ways to find out more information. 
Um, the, the large thing that we've been doing therapeutically uh, is Dungeons and Dragons therapeutic DMing. Um, and so there's a group of us that do that pretty consistently. Yeah. Um, I've got my, my 13 to 18 year old group starting here in a month. And uh, I mean, what a phenomenal way to reach these kids. Not, o- not only by interest, like Aspies largely, it's largely for social skills, at least how I use it. But um, for the modules, I mean, built within it is issues of identity, role playing, uh, yeah. uh, role reversal. I mean, the joint attention, share, uh, uh, shared enjoyment. I mean, all the things that you'd focus on with an Aspie for social skills mm-hmm. are right there in it. And it, it, it's, you know, I, we weren't even, the, it's funny because psychologists, like I came into it because of research. My dissertation was on using video games for Aspies, uh, creating a computer one with this guy, Mark Zinnerman, who had created this thing um, to see if it, it improves social skill growth compared to a standard social skills group, which it did. And basically the idea of using computer mediated techniques and in special interest areas for Aspies to improve uh, gains, which of course it does, which then led me to D&D. And then I found this community of people some who are just D&D players, some who are psychologists, where I think I've just discovered this. And, and empirically, I have. There's no, there was no data and continues not to be data on D&D evidence-based therapeutically. Me and Dr. Megan Connell have created a module that we can have 80% fidelity with, a standardized approach that we're very excited about actually studying to get that data. But, uh, you know, let me know this. And people have been playing D&D. It's like, yeah, we've known this since the 70s. Right. They're like, we know it helps with this since this year. This is not new field. You know, it's just it reaches our expertise, I guess. And we're able to maybe disseminate it more, provide a little more validity to it, I suppose. Well, it's it's for me that there's a bit of a parallel here between the kids, the kids that used to play these games. Mm-hmm. So I remember when Games Workshop first landed in United Kingdom and it was mm-hmm. pretty much it was always the gothic looking kids that would go in as well. Or, or sure. we, we used to say alternative, actually. So the 80s and uh, and you, you'd just see hordes of people going into the shop, but parents never accompanied them. They would think it was a weird um, hobby, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And I see the same the same kind of reflections for children that are doing uh, MMORPGs. And they'll be sat, you know, mm-hmm. for example, uh, my children played RuneScape when it first came out, so it was a few mm-hmm. other things. So I looked at it and I just went, oh, it's like, it's like it's... a version of D&D. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's not, Mum, it's wizards. It's, you know, we're wizards and so on. And, it, and now the game looked way too complicated for me. You know, <laughs> if, I watch, if I watch a child playing, I'm like, I cannot keep up with, all of the bits and pieces that they're doing. Right. But it's so fast. It's complicated. They've got so much going on. Oh, yeah. And for me, that's where I see the benefits because the cognitive uh, systems that must be firing while they're oh, playing. Oh, oh. oh, we know that. That's been proven time and time again, the cognitive benefits of different yeah. types of games. But I think that's a good point. We're, we're not asking parents to be experts or to enjoy it. We're asking them to, to ha- have a shared enjoyment where they're like, my kid likes this, so I'm going to find a way to like it vicariously. Yeah. And we're asking them to have enough information to have meaningful dialogue where they can ask their kids questions about it and show interest. There are some that, I'll be honest, I don't even really like. Goat Simulator, I have played it. I, I can't wrap my head around why that's so enjoyable. But in our lobby, we have an arcade, and that is one of the most preferred. And like flopping around with a whale skin, and I'm like... I don't get it, but I don't have to. I just have to try to understand why they enjoy it and use some empathy abilities to be able to try to get what they like and then know a little bit about the skins available, et cetera, so that they're like, hey, this guy likes this, so he might like me. And he he might get me, right? And he wants to get me. Yeah, yeah. But I think it is is, uh, intimidating for parents. And so they avoid it, like, like their kids, when they come into our office, tend to be doing, avoiding things that are hard for them. And the yeah. parents are modeling the same thing by like, and it, not on purpose, but like, I don't want to do it because it's complicated for me to know what's going on. I'm just going to continue to be scared of it. Get off that phone right now. I hate this. I hate that you're on it, blah, 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 and, you know, not, which is not, not good, not going to help. Yeah. You are the first person that's actually quoted a goat simulator at me. I thought I was, <laughs> I thought I was the only person that looked at it. And just, what a pi- what? I can't 
wrap my head around it. It's like this kid is like, look, I attached this demon goat's tongue to the windmill. Watch this, flip, flip, flip. And I'm like, so it's like a fascination with a physics engine? They're like, no, uh-uh. It's like, I really want to get it. <laughs> it's like, I can't find, but whatever. I just have to be like, oh, that's cool. And, and genuinely believe it's cool for them. I think yeah. it's cool that they have an interest that's so niche and, and fascinating. And theirs, that's so yeah. cool. It's theirs. It is so, they are so interested in something that I can't wrap my head around. What a fascinating thing mm-hmm. that makes them so great. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So would you like to just give a, um, a bit of a summary about, uh, you know, Geeks Like Us? And sure. What it is that it does, what it is, who it is, how it works. Um, because, you know, you never know if people may listen to this podcast and then come to find out. Sure. So Geeks Like Us is a community-based media company that Dr. Megan Cannell and I started. And we have a colleague who is a co-owner, Dr. Jonathan Anslow. We're all huge geeks. And the point of this thing was we wanted to create an environment where people could come and be proud about being unapologetically enthusiastic about whatever it is they loved, to find a way to celebrate geek culture, to celebrate passion, ranging from knowing everything about the Ninja Turtle comics to Star Wars, to knowing everything about, uh, you know, astronomy or whatever it could be geeky about. Usually they fall within the realm of science, anime, video games, tabletop games, but it doesn't have to just be that. With our tag word being, tag phrase being be unapologetically enthusiastic. And we provide this community where people can have discussions. We promote articles on you know, how to use your geek culture and passions to improve your life. So a lot of Jamie's articles, things like us, like I just posted one on, uh, you know, uh, Dark Phoenix and how uh, Sophie Turner, the the actor who plays uh, Jean Grey, uh, sort of looked into schizophrenia and dissociative identity and how she probably did that, how that might manifest in the show, how we can learn from these movies. So basically trying to pair psychology with geek culture provide that while simultaneously providing entertainment, education, um, and resources for, for geeks to be able to grow. Within that initiative, we have unique original article. We also aggregate articles we believe would be helpful. Aggregate resources would be believed to be helpful. And um, have a few shows. The most popular right now are Clinical Role. It's our therapeutic D&D group. Uh, we have therapists and mental health professionals from across the nation and world to some degree um, playing a D&D game under the, the dungeon mastering, fantastic dungeon mastering of Dr. Megan Connell, um, who largely uses uh, therapeutic gaming to empower women, which is great. So you really should get her on your podcast. I can certainly connect you if you're not connected. Um, but uh, as well as Megan's Psych at the Table, which is basically talking psychology as it relates to tabletop games, largely D&D. I'll have a show coming up soon called Psych-Fi, where I talk about all psychology of can the Hulk be tranquilized or the extraordinary brain of, the, of zombies from The Walking Dead, talking about the way their neurology plays out or interesting things about that. Um, John Anzel will have something called Hordar- Collector the Hordarian, where he reviews, he has this two entire rooms in his house filled with merchandise dating back to the 60s, where he'll just talk about the Black series and the meaningfulness of that and mm-hmm. what to look for and certain ones that how to... How to you know, appraise value of these items. So it's a very cool site to feel like you belong, to have resources, to have forums, showcase your passions, and also tied closely with a lot of nonprofits as well. So if anybody's interested, then they can come to uh, basically your website, which I'll, I'll put in the show notes um, about, about this so that people can come across. Um, obviously, if they want Jamie's website, I'm going to send them back to the interview that I did with him. Um, and then... Yeah, I'm just thinking that all of all of the things that are now building up, so it'll be show notes. This will this will obviously contain <clears throat> show notes for um, geeks like us. There's also part of me going, why do we not have anything like that here? Why? Well, <laughs> why, don't, why don't I start it? Why don't I ask people? Um, actually, I wonder if anybody would be interested in the United Kingdom of of doing something like this because the number of people I know that are, have this level of interest is uh, yeah. the millions of us. Yeah, yeah, we're not alone. We're not alone. Yeah. No, no, well, I mean, my my tattooist has a uh, wars room, and I'm not kidding. <laughs> it's it's absolutely fun. Uh, and and he, I mean, he jokes and he says, "Oh, I've got Peter Pan syndrome." And uh, I was, 
what's what's that first time I met him he said I don't want to grow up and I was like oh okay went up and he's got just he's decked it out there are leather chairs it's a bit like um you're either a Star Wars or a Star Trek fan aren't you you know what I mean and when Mm. I walked in I looked at these chairs and I was like yeah they don't really go they look a bit more trekky than and he was like oh you swore (laughs) (laughs) yeah but it, it it is it is a big community. I know it is because, uh, well, like, it has to be because otherwise mm. I'm going to look like I'm a, an outlier. <laughs> I don't mind being an outlier. <laughs> no, it, it is a massive one. And even, even with professionals, it's huge. You go to things. Again, I do about 10 to 12 Comic-Con and gaming cons a year. I fell in love with my gaming con friends. Um, there's certainly a community in the comic convention realm. I, I'll be honest, I haven't as, cl- as close ties with anime and uh, comic books. There's some of us, Janina Scarlett, uh, Travis Langley, uh, the Southeast Psych folk. Um, unfortunately, I don't get to do too much with them lately. But uh, it, it's, it's, there is a great community, at least here. And, uh, and you know, I would love it to expand as far as it can. It's yeah. a phenomenal thing. Well, there's definitely there's definitely a need for it here in the UK. So you know, maybe maybe we'll have to organise something separate to this in terms of oh, I'm just doing that thing. I've already planned my next <laughs> year out now in my head. <laughs> hey, I, I'll do it. You yeah. know, I, I watch Game of Thrones. I feel like I'm familiar with English culture. Uh, yes, I drink and I know things. Is probably <laughs> I drink and I know things. That's right. You're kind of murderous, you guys. <laughs> Just kidding. Actually, it's tonight I'm super excited about. I don't know if you're a Game of Thrones fan. But... Uh, yes, tomorrow for us in the UK. Oh, God bless you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'll talk to you off air. <laughs> yeah. yeah, don't look at my Twitter feed until tomorrow. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. In that case, um, yes, I'm going to um, wrap this up. Um, so thank yeah. you very much for yeah. your time, your you're geeking out with me actually so oh of course really kathy a pleasure really don't care what anybody else thinks to this i've just had a blast going oh, it's been a blast <gasps> yeah <laughs> so yeah. thank you very much ryan you got it thank you kathy this podcast was edited by rory kavanagh an audio enthusiast and music producer